for Entertainment, the podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher, and with me as usual is Lydia. And Lydia. Hi. I was waiting for the lead-in. Well, you know why? Is he going to do Sailor or is he going to do Wreck, um, a wreck of a person? (laughs) Well, I'll I'll tell you why, because, you know, trying to get this thing recorded, it's just, it's Jamaican be crazy. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. There, yep, there it is. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did have a little bit of trouble. Uh, this is our second attempt at this episode, but with a different movie. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We had, we had uh, any number of issues, both scheduling and technical issues, and then even issues about whether or not the movie was really something that should be discussed on Orphan Entertainment or not. So we, we, yeah, we had an entire episode that we thought was recorded. Yeah. Turned out it wasn't, and that was a little bit of kids kismet. So here we are again. Yeah, here we are again. <laughs> uh we are going to discuss Jamaica Inn, which I think is going to be an interesting film for us to talk about. Before we get to that, I do want to remind everyone that you can download Orphan Entertainment on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher Radio. If you have any feedback or any comments, you can email us at orphanentertainment at gmail.com or you can come and join our Facebook group. Just go to facebook.com and search for Orphan Entertainment. And of course, if you want to see the films we uh, the films we review, you go to our YouTube channel, and which is where you're not going to find the movie that we <laughs> we thought we recorded on, <laughs> but you will find a copy of Jamaica Inn, and so there you go. Uh, with that, I think we're going to take a little short break. I'm going to play another five-minute mystery and a promo for another wonderful podcast, and when we get back, we will visit Jamaica Inn. <laughs> Another five-minute mystery. Protective Service, Jim Martin speaking. Hello. Hello, Martin. I can't hear you at all, so get this straight. What? This is Adele Cass, secretary to Joe Gerard, the diamond merchant. They killed him, and I'm bound hand and foot. Go on, go on. I'm listening. I heard you say something, but I can't make out what it was. I managed to push the receiver off of my chin, but I can't hold it to my ear. Go ahead. I understand. You know the address. 45 Fulton Place. Bring the police. I'll try to get free. We'll be there right away. Goodbye. Thank heavens you're here, Mr. Martin. And uh, this is Lieutenant Garfield of the police. How do you do, Miss Cass? Uh, Jim, do you want to go look at the body? Uh, let's get the story first. I couldn't get much on the phone. Tell us what happened, Miss Cass. I will in a minute. I'm a little shaken. I just managed to get the rope off. Oh, please, Miss Cass. Uh, time is very important. Mr. Garfield, I, I knew it would happen. Why? Well, he always carried a packet of diamonds in the inside pocket of his jacket. Did they take it? Yes. When did it happen? About eight. Mr. Gerard asked me to work late tonight. He was dictating a letter when... I hardly dare to think of it. Go on, Miss Cass. Two men, they walked in and they grabbed us both and uh, bound me up. I, I couldn't move. Uh, what did they use to kill Gerard? The metal stool. They hit him over the head because he struggled so. Yes, yes, go on. 
The blood rushed from his veins. It was horrible. And the diamonds? He must have been dead or nearly dead. They they opened his jacket. It was his new double-breasted blue suit. And they took a packet from his inner pocket. And uh, you phoned me right away? Well, as soon as I could wriggle over to the desk and get the receiver off the hook. Let's have a look at the body. Oh, it was horrible. Just horrible. Hmm. Miss Cass, I thought you said they unbuttoned his jacket. Well, they, they did. Then they, they buttoned it before they left. Oh, I see. And it was a man and a woman. No, two men. Their faces were covered, but I know they were men. All right, Cass, come across. Where did you hide the diamonds? What are you talking about? Just this, Miss Cass. I arrest you for the murder of Joseph Gerard. Where did Adele Cass slip up in her murder and robbery? There are two clues. Do you know them? In a moment, Jim Martin and Lieutenant Garfield will tell us. But first... So, ghost infected Frank. He passed it on to the other guys, and I got it from his corpse. Right. Hello, Echo. How are you feeling? Did I fall asleep? For a little while. Previously on Heroes. You had to go and be the detective, didn't you, man? I'm not an aggressive person, but... Ugh, man, there's just way too much on all these channels. But only in-game. Everybody lives, Rose. Just this one. In your dreams, Matloaf. Bite my shiny metal hat. Sometimes I get, I get vision. Walter, what are you doing? What you learned? I wish there was some way to find out what's really worth watching. There is. What? Who? What was that? Tuning into Sci-Fi TV is the viewer's guide to genre television. Where is that coming from? With its spoiler-free quick reviews and water cooler and the spoiler-filled in-depth back porch discussions, Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV is the only resource fans need to know what's on, what's good, and what's coming soon in science fiction and fantasy television. How did you get into my house? Join Kevin, Wendy, and Brent each week for the latest in genre television. I'm calling the police. Uh, you can find Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV at TuningIntoSciFiTV.com. No, seriously. How did you get into my house? Now, let's see if you're as observant as Jim Martin and Lieutenant Garfield. You're crazy. Why, why, Mr. Martin himself heard me on the phone. That was your first mistake, Miss Cass. If you were really bound hand and foot, you couldn't have dialed the Martin Protective Service. Your second error, Miss Cass, was insisting that two men committed the murder. Right, Martin? That's absolutely right. You see, Miss Cass, a man, buttoned for coat or jacket, left side over right, a woman buttons it right over left. Joe Gerard's jacket was buttoned by a woman right over left. And that woman, Miss Cass, was you. Welcome back, everyone. All right, Jamaica Inn is a 1939 film directed by Alfred Hitchcock. This is the first of three films that Hitchcock would direct that were adapted from a, and maybe, Lydia, you are definitely more the bookworm. You might be able to help me pronounce this name. Daphne du Maurier? Daphne du Maurier. Du Maurier. Thank you. Daphne yes, du Maurier. Yes, French name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Which and I, I don't know if you picked, oh, I was going to say, I don't know if you picked this up, but she wrote Rebecca. Yes. Which is, aside from the name of 
your wife, if I can say that on here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She also wrote the short story, The Birds. Exactly. Which I found very interesting. Very interesting. That was right where I was heading for. (laughs) Now, uh, yeah, I think it's very interesting that uh, both uh, three very different stories. So it's a very interesting. She definitely has an eclectic, uh, what would be the word? Idiom, sir. Perhaps. Uh, she does. Well, what, the interesting thing, um, if you know much about Rebecca, the birds, obviously, and then also Jamaica Inn, she does write a fairly dark story. Mm, um, true. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this version of Jamaica Inn and Du Maurier's original version, I think, as we go on. Okay. But she definitely does have a penchant for a penchant for the dark. Yeah, that's about the only real connection between these three stories that I could really point out is that they are they do have kind of a, a darker edge to them, but they are mm-hmm. just very three very different genres of of stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Well, Charles Lawton stars in this film, and it also features Maureen O'Hara in her first major screen role. And this is the last film that Alfred Hitchcock will make in the United Kingdom before he moves to the United States. I did not know that. Yeah. That's very interesting because he made several. I mean, he probably a dozen. I would I would guess that he did in the UK before he came over here and became known as the master of horror. Exactly. Well, Lawton's production company Mayflower Films produced this uh, Jamaica Inn, and Lawton here it was said that he interfered a bit with Hitchcock's direction. Lawton originally was cast to play the innkeeper Joss Merlin but cast himself as the squire, Sir Humphrey Pengallon, when that role was changed from a conniving priest, as it was in the novel, to a conniving rich squire. <laughs> the, the change from priest to squire was done because of American censors. The current code in place in Hollywood prevented the church from being showed in any kind of bad light. That is interesting, and that was one of the differences I was going to point out, but it did not occur to me that that might have been... Um, help me out, what's the word? <laughs> Against code censorship. or censorship. Yes, yes. <laughs> that was the word I wanted, censorship. Yeah, the, the Hayes Code and, and, and its ilk here in the United States affected films abroad because they obviously they wanted that export market of films, and so they had to make the films that would sell over in the U.S. as well. In several interviews, Alfred Hitchcock said that he considered this to be the film he disliked the most mostly due to all the required changes from the novel due to censorship or being caught between Lawton and his business partners. Uh, I found one quote online that said that said that he had said that he did not so much direct the film as referee it. <laughs> Interesting. As I said, Jamaica Inn was Maureen O'Hara's first major screen role. The title cards introduce her, quote-unquote, but she'd actually appeared in a couple of films before, uh, Little Miss Molly and Kicking the Moon Around in 1938. But in those films, she was credited as Maureen Fitzsimmons, which is her real name. Interesting. Charles Lawton discovered a screen test that O'Hara did, uh, which was generally considered unacceptable by the studio, but he saw something in her, and uh, noting later that it was her expressive eyes, and he was the one who offered her the role in Jamaica Inn. The two would star together again in The Hunchback of Notre Dame in 1939. Uh, it was in Hollywood filming Hunchback that she signed a contract with RKO, RKO Pictures and began a very long career. 
She appeared in films such as How Green Was My Valley in 41, Black Swan with Tyrone Power in 42. Great movie. Love that movie. <laughs> yes. Miracle on, 30, <laughs> Miracle on 34th Street in 1947. Classic. I think everyone has seen that film. O'Hara made her first film with John Wayne in Rio Grande in 1950. Which and then was they did the Quiet Man, <laughs> followed by the Quiet Man in '52. The two worked together several times and became lifelong friends. Their on-screen chemistry was so strong, in fact, that many thought they were married or in a relationship. Interesting. I guess I never thought about that, but I can see why people would think so. Yeah. She continued to act until 2000, and was given an honorary Oscar in 2015 for her life's work. And she unfortunately passed away in October of that same year at the year, at the age of ninety five. So very wow. long life well and a very me. full, very full life, very full career. Absolutely. Well, she was in the original Parent Trap. You have to give her kudos for that. Was she really? I don't think I knew that. I think she was the mother. Actually, was she? she was Haley Mills and Haley Mills' mother. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's a movie that I have not uh, visited in a long, long time. I don't. It's I think not, not not <laughs> since uh, was like the wonderful world of Disney on was on TV or something. Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> oh, the good old days. <laughs> well, that's all the little notes I had. Really, I just wanted to mention a little bit about Maureen there because that was being that this was kind of early in her career, and that she would go on from here and just. My gosh, the, the the breadth of her career is just unbelievable. She's mm-hmm. one of the actors. I mean, we've stumbled on a few of them through our travels here, where the actors are just like in the in the beginning of their career that mm-hmm. we watch them, and they just go on to just do so much. And she's definitely one of them. I, sorry, I, I got a little bit distracted. I wanted to point out that there was one other change to the storyline. Um, the well, I don't want to get too much into who he is, but there's a guy called Jim Jim Traherne in this. Right. And he shows up pretty early on in the original story. He is actually uh, he's Jim Merlin. He's Joss's brother. Right. So, that's right. And a that. completely different character. Right. So <laughs> so that's, uh, you know, not at all the what they turn him into in this, which I won't I won't leak quite yet nope we'll definitely get into it there are just a ton of changes in this from the original story well we'll get into the plot here a little bit so we can get into talking about the all kinds of stuff about jamaica in the film opens with a title card with a quote on it oh lord we pray thee not that wreck should happen but that if they do happen that will guide them to the coast of cornwall for the benefit of the poor inhabitants which, which was apparently, according to this, an early 19th century Cornish prayer. <laughs> and we learn of gangs that would arrange shipwrecks along this uh, rather treacherous coastline. And then from the title in, we see a man ride to the shore. And this man covers a beacon light that warns ships of the rugged coastline. Now, this is, I believe, it is a, a piece of model work where you see the ship coming into the into the sea. It's actually a pretty impressive model work, I think. It is. I would especially say for the era, there is some motion in it where you can obviously tell it's not an actual ship. But but I think for, you know, for the era, it would be very convincing, especially when you think back to, you know, when they released the first Titanic movie and they had, you know, a survivor there and they said, you know, if they were close enough to film it, why didn't they, you know, obviously 
at the time, without having any reference, this looked super real. Yeah, very much. Well, we see this ship crash on the rocks uh, thanks to this guy covering up this beacon. And her uh, crew are attacked by a, a gang of ruffians, I'll just call them. And so we had this really impressive model uh, crashing on the rocks and everything. And then we get a really impressive set of the shipwreck on the rocks. Mm-hmm. I I was looking the whole time, kind of trying to figure out, if the, is, is this a studio set? Is, are, are they really on the beach? Or what's going on? As far as I get, I think this was really a studio set. But my gosh, it was an incredible set. Yeah, I, honestly, to have as much control over the waves and the wind as they did, it would have had to have been on a set. But the they have you know some, some shots where they've got horses that they're trying to load this stuff onto from the ship. And the horses are down in the water and they're, clearly getting splashed all over oh, the water because yeah. it's really upsetting them. Um, so, you know, they definitely, I, I think it has to be a closed set, but at the same time, they they really go all out on it. You really can't tell. No, and I have to think, you're, you're watching these men that are you're jumping off the ship and then the the the, uh, the gang that's, that's killing these poor guys. I mean, the entire ship is plundered and all the crew murdered and they're all fighting in the water and there's waves crashing and people mm-hmm. are going under and getting thrown against the quote unquote rocks, which mm-hmm. honestly, they may have actually been rocks. <laughs> <laughs> they look like rocks to me. <laughs> yeah. It, it's just thinking, wow. I mean, you know, this was de- definitely done in the days before a lot of uh, safety and animal rights. I didn't see any injury to horses just in case you guys are worried. But yeah, I did yeah. think about that at one point because they were you could tell they were not happy with the situation, which they weren't supposed to be. So it was. It was realistic. <laughs> Very realistic, and it, it, like a, like we were saying, just an incredible set piece because there's there's waves crashing, the wind is blowing, the rain is pouring down. It had to have been an absolute nightmare to actually do these scenes, mm-hmm. but it really pays off because it really sets the stage well for this film. Well, next we see a carriage on the road. The driver talks about not liking to have to pass Jamaica Inn. Uh, he, he tells his uh, his partner there on on top of this carriage that there's a lot of queer stuff that happens there (laughs) a young woman riding in the coach miss maureen o'hara well she inquires to her fellow passengers if jamaica inn is on this road Uh, the couple look pretty apprehensive at being in a carriage with someone who would want who would even ask about jamaica (laughs) inn I like this response here. It's, you know, very an elderly man and woman, and the woman's got a goose in her basket, real goose in her basket. <laughs> you know, and Maureen O'Hara asks, did you make in on this road? And they look at each other, and they look at her, and then the old lady goes, yes. <laughs> she has this tiny little whisper. The woman leans out and asks the driver how much further is to the inn. He responds by speeding up the horses and going by the inn as fast as they can. I would call it whipping the horses up even. Yeah, oh, okay. well, we and she, well, no, and she asks, she says, what happened if the horse is broken free? You know, they broken loose. Well, when they finally stop, the driver drops the woman's luggage down and tells her that she is on her own if she wants to go to the Jamaica Inn. Uh, he suggests that she go to another house on the road, the house of uh, Sir Humphrey Pengallen. I'm sorry, Sir Humphrey Pengallen. Uh, Humphrey, is... Humphrey. Yeah, yeah whatever. <laughs> and then he, like you said, he drops her, her her case down and just rides off, leaving her on the side of the road. And she sees the house down the uh, down the drive uh, lit up. It's a rather large house. Well, at the house, we see a well-to-do dinner party in progress. 
to Sir Humphrey. Sir Humphrey? Eh? What? Jovia. Pengallon. Thank you. Might have asked you to drink the health of his brand new majesty, George the Fourth. I forgot. In fact, I haven't been on speaking terms for years with a fat fool. You were much in his company at one time, I think, Sir Humphrey? Yes. And Charlie Fox and Sheridan would be there with him in the pavilion at Brighton. In those days, he was still a gentleman. Now he's nothing but a painted bag of maraschino and plum pudding. Lord George. Buzz, Madeira. Last summer, we made a tour of the lakes. Which lake do you admire the most, Sir Humphrey? Chadwick! Which lake did I admire the most? Windermere, sir. Windermere. It is very beautiful. Why not a toast to beauty, Sir Humphrey? Why not? Uh, Chadwick, my figurine. I need inspiration to get. Oh, well, there's beauty. But it's not alive. More alive than half the people here. Look at him, what? <laughs> Sir Humphrey is a bit of an odd individual, and one who appears to be bored with the company he is keeping. The woman from earlier arrives at the house, and we find out her name is Mary. And I'm going to back up a little bit, because there are some things that we just glossed over that I love in this Oh, scene. I suppose we should. There is some stuff going on with the, <laughs> with the party. So, you know, it's obvious that all these people are kind of schmoozing up to this very wealthy man. And at one point, you know, they, they're talking about the beautiful lakes, you know, in, in the North Country. And Windermere is one of them. Right. And, uh, and the one lady says, oh, let's toast to beauty, shouldn't we? And she puts her hand on Sir Humphrey's hand. And he says, ooh, and he pulls away. <laughs> he says, why not? Of course. <laughs> and then he, he looks right at her. And then he looks over to the servant and says, bring you – I need inspiration. Bring me my figurine. Right. <laughs> so it's like so poignant that he does not think this woman is attractive at all. Um, and then they end up, you know, he says, you know, oh, you know, you should see the most beautiful creature east of, I forget where he says. Right. His Nancy. <laughs> his beautiful Nancy. And so they, they get all excited and say, oh, that's why you stayed here is because you're keeping a young woman, you know, and scandalous and all that. And they open up the doors to show the group Nancy and it's this horse. <laughs> and they actually lead, the groom leads this horse into the dining room yes. of this incredibly fancy dinner. And it's just, I love it because it's so shocking at the time. It never would have happened unless you were extremely eccentric, which clearly Humphrey is. Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, the woman from earlier does arrive. Uh, we find out her name is Mary. Humphrey makes a bet with another guest. He... It's announced that a woman has come to the door, so he makes a, a bet with one of his guests about whether or not she's ugly. Let's have a look at her. Bring one. When she's 21 in Guinea, she's ugly. I'll take you. Would you uh, oblige me by taking off that coat a moment? Why should I? I have a wager here. Always respect a wager. Would you allow me? You're an exquisite shape, too. My dear. You're a beauty. Ringwood! You've won! Here! Oh, <laughs> One to twenty, she's ugly. <laughs> In guineas. <laughs> well, Mary here has um, has come from Ireland, and she's come to live with her aunt Patience, who helps run the Jamaica Inn. Uh, she's going to come and live with her because Mary's mother has passed away. Sir Humphrey t tries to talk her out of it, but she insists. So Humphrey escorts her to the 
uh, in her, himself. At the end, Mary meets Joss, her uncle, who also happens to be the man who uh, led the raid on the shipwreck. And also happens to be the winner of this year's Creepiest Uncle contest. Uh, yeah, that was, <laughs> I think I had something almost exactly like that in my notes. Go and tell your master I'm here. Aren't you going to give me a kiss first? You'll, you'll suffer for this when my uncle's told of it. I have you turned out of here. You'll see. Oh, you wouldn't be hard on us, ma'am. You see, your aunt had missed me. Get out of my way, I... Correct. Entirely correct. I'm your aunt's loving husband. Your great big uncle, Joss. Well, about this time, we actually see in a back room of the inn that the the gang from earlier is uh, wondering why the halls aren't making as much as it should. It's discussed that there may be someone stealing from the thieves. Keep it quiet. You see, boys, we've got a visitor. Harry told us. He's a neat piece from what I've seen of it. Very neat. That's all you think of. Women. Vanities of the flesh. Following petticoats along the path to everlasting corruption. Salvation's <laughs> off again. Ah, uh, you can laugh now, but you'll sing a different tune when you're roasting in the consuming fire that's waiting for all of us. Me included. Where are you going, Harry? To pay me respects. She's not partial to your sort, Harry. What about me and me new lace caps? <laughs> Anything in mind that way yourself? Well, I hadn't given the matter a thought, but I might. <laughs> I said I might, Harry. All right, Josh. Added to which, she's my wife's niece from Ireland. Why didn't you say that before? <laughs> my business, Harry, my business. I knew a girl once, come from Ireland. Talk funny, she did like a foreigner. But it was all right. It's hard work and it's risky work. It's work we'll rot in chains for one day, all in a neat row. And what do we get out of it? Next to nothing. <laughs> Why, a man's share don't come to enough to hold body and soul together. That last rake didn't bring in what it should have. That's what I say. That's what you say. I know, that's what Sidney said. So you've been yapping, eh? No, no, Mr. Merlin, I Going saw you. Going off your arithmetic, eh? Yeah. Doing pretty sums for poor lads that can't read nor reckon. No, no. You're out to list the goods. Not set a price on them. Just a minute, Joss. I told him the last fall didn't fetch a quarter of what it should have done. You did, eh? Reckoning by our share of it. Maybe you're not getting the right price for the stuff. Maybe there's a leak somewhere. You're looking thoughtful, Harry. Perhaps you'll give us the benefit of your sentiments, if any. About this leak, I think the word is. If you've a notion in your mind, Harry, don't be bashful. Spit it out. We'd be glad to listen. I wouldn't know about that, Josh. Well, perhaps I would. Supposing there is a leak, and supposing it happens before the goods get to the end, you follow me? Some absent-minded chap might mislay a piece or two, in a manner of speaking. On the way up from the wreck. Have you ever thought of that? How long have you been with me, Harry? A matter of five years, Josh. Salvation? We've been lost souls together for two years and seven months, Josh. Sydney? Almost two and a half years, Mr. Merlin. Dandy? See, now, I was carrying on with a bit in Penzance around that time. Here she is, Annie. That makes it four years, Josh. And you? I'll tell them for you. 
Mr. Treherne has been with us the enormous time of two months. Eight weeks. Fifty-six days. How's that for arithmetic? What do you say to that, Mr. Treherne? Honoring among thieves and all that. Mm-hmm. But yes, the newest member, what does he say? He's only been there for two months, eight weeks, 56 days, something like that. Right. I think uh, Joss, I think, goes in and talks to him for a while, and he heads back out and talks to Mary again, and he finds out that Sir Humphrey himself brought her to the inn. And upon hearing this, he literally throws her luggage up the stairs and heads upstairs himself. And he ends up meeting Sir Humphrey is waiting in a room upstairs. Turns out Sir Humphrey is the real leader of the gang. Dun, dun, dun. Ah! <laughs> now, apparently, uh, from what I've read, uh, if it's uh, true that Lawton was really kind of interfering a lot with the filmmaking that were, which hit, with Hitchcock trying to make this movie, he when he cast himself in this role, he, of course, wanted more screen time. And that actually forced them to reveal him as the leader of the gang a lot earlier than Hitchcock would have liked. And I think mm-hmm. that is true. I, I was really surprised that this revelation was this early in the film. It, it, when you put it that way, it is interesting because if you didn't have this revelation right at this moment, it would have been such a shock. You know? Oh, yeah. But as it's so early on, it's like, oh, OK, so we're just still getting our bearings. Oh, and this is the real bad guy. OK, interesting. Yeah, Exactly. Well, uh, let's see, Joss and Humphrey, why they were, they have a short discussion, and they actually do di- discuss the fact that there is a, kind of some misgivings downstairs about the, 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 the take and that, that some of the boys are feeling slighted. And downstairs, while we're talking about them, the gang is having it out with Traherne. They find some money on him, and Joss seeing a scapegoat and an easy way to explain where the money goes because actually the money's going to Sir Humphrey, but he doesn't want to tell the gang that. The gang doesn't know that Sir Humphrey is the is the leader behind everything. Mm-hmm. So anyway, he sees a scapegoat, and an easy way to explain where the money goes. He lets the gang have Traherne, and they decide to hang him. That's what you do when somebody double-crosses you. Absolutely. Well, yeah. <laughs> if I had a nickel. Well, <laughs> of course I have a nickel, because I hung the guy that took it. No. <laughs> Exactly. And his gold buckles off his shoes. <laughs> <laughs> or brass buckles. <laughs> well, Mary, up in her room, she spies the Goinans on downstairs through a crack in her floor slash wall. I get the impression that this inn is kind of one of these uh, very old buildings where it was probably only one or two rooms. And then over time, things have been added on. So it's really mm-hmm. haphazard. So, like, her wall is actually like the the roof of a previous structure of or, or previous room uh, of, of this building well they hang Traherne up right below her room and she's able to actually reach through the crack and cut the rope with a knife from her dinner plate she sneaks down and helps Traherne escape mary returns to her room to find joss waiting for her again extremely creepy moment <laughs> Your creepy uncle <laughs> He tells her that he has decided to let her stay in the most creepiest fashion possible. One of the men calls for Joss, thank goodness, because I'd hate to think what would have happened if they didn't. (laughs) And he storms out into the hall, getting a very harsh stare down from patients upon seeing him leaving Mary's room. It's discovered that Traherne is gone, and the men 
figure out that it was Mary. They actually, I guess, they, they can spot the hole in the ceiling <laughs> right above, <laughs> right above the uh, the post that they had the guy the, hanging the from. Cut rope, yeah, yeah, and the cut rope. Well, outside, Traherne is still around, and he and Mary make their way to a hiding spot on the coast. I like I like the way that they did this, and I think this must have been Hitchcock because more uh, because Mary runs out. You know, her patients come and, comes and says, they know that you did it. You have to get out now. Just run. And she goes out the door and she's looking around and an arm just reaches down and grabs her and pulls her up. her up. Yeah, huh? yeah. Just from off camera. I love that because you don't it's not like, oh, what's going on? You know, you can't tell if it's a good guy getting her or a bad guy getting her. And it turns out that it's Traherne. Well, waking the next morning next to Traherne in their hideout. Mary's still thinking that Traherne is a murdering crook, tries to grab the rowboat and get away from him. He stops her, but uh, it lets the boat drift away. So stuck in the cave, the two spend some time bickering. Now, what do you think you're doing? Go! Now, don't be a fool. You'll never get anywhere. You can't even row. Leave me alone! You're not afraid of me. Oh, you are. Well, that's women for you. Save your life one minute, fighting for their own the next. Yes, I'm not a very pretty sight at the moment, but I don't bite you. Do you think I don't know how my aunt is frightened for her life? That I don't know what you and the rest of you are doing at Jamaica Inn? Oh, what? Thieves, smugglers, cutthroats for all I know, and I'm not staying! The gang, who has been looking for Traherne and Mary, spot the drifting boat and discover where they've been hiding. Uh, they find them, I think they actually even found like a, a hole sort of in the uh, in the roof of this cave, and they, dro- they drop a rope. The tide's going out now, but it'll be high water again before dark. We can't stay here without that boat. Oh, well, we'll have to run for it, that's all, soon as the tide's low enough. Uh, trust me to land myself with a woman. On the other hand, of course, you did save my life. I hope you make better use of it in the future. Yeah, well, that's a tall order for a desperate character like me. No doubt. A smuggler and a cutthroat, I think, is it? Very likely. Do you think there's any hope for me? Tell me, what ought I to do? Anything you please. Well, I used to be a sailor. I can go back to sea. I'm not in the least interested. You must be. Don't forget you're responsible for me. I am not. Oh, yes. But for you, I shouldn't be here at all. You can't deny that. So you see, when we're safe in Truro, I shall put myself entirely in your oh, hands. Oh, please be quiet. Oh, cheer up. We'll be there by... Take the little book, Mr. Trian. There's a beautiful hymn on page 13. While at death's door, I trembling stand. Very comforting. First guy that tries to go down uh, <laughs> ends up getting banged against. Traherne just grabs the rope and bangs the guy against the side of the of the cave, and then the, so all th- three remaining men decide that they're going to they're kind of come down together to get the Traherne and Mary. With no other choice, Traherne and Mary swim for it and evade capture once again. Well, they make it back to shore, and thinking they would have an ally with Sir Humphrey, the two make it. To, the, to his house. Sir Humphrey is seen handling some issues with his tenants. Apparently he's a big landowner, owns some property and many homes. And he is harsh to some and very generous to others. Uh, this is the scene you almost kind of, you think, well, he's not really that bad of a guy because he's really nice to this woman who can't make the rent, but he's, she's just a poor old woman. So he's like, oh, no, you know. If, as long as you're in, under my roof, you'll be fine. We'll get you some food. But then there's another guy that he can't make the payments. He's like, nope, forget it. You're out. Maybe it's just he's a fan of the ladies. Maybe, yeah. Well, he definitely is a fan of beauty. That is true. Which he says over and over. Yeah. 
Mary and Treherne arrive, and Sir Humphrey immediately sets about uh, getting Mary some dry clothes. Treherne insists on speaking with Sir Humphrey, and he confides, confides with Humphrey that Treherne is actually a police officer investigating the shipwrecks. And this is another one of those that I like how they do it. He says something about, I've got different kinds of brandy. You'll be interested in this list. And he pushes this piece of paper into Sir Humphrey's hands. And it says, you know, be it known that the bearer of this Treherne is an officer. (laughs) And and you've got Humphrey looking at the paper going, you know, because he's already, I think by this point, I think that Merlin, I keep wanting to call him Mervin. Mervin? Your name is Mervin? No, his <laughs> Merlin. <laughs> okay, Mervin. Um, by now, Merlin, Merlin has, has dropped by and told Sir Humphrey that a man named Treherne is, you know, out on the loose and might turn them in to be hanged. Yeah. And we also see in this scene, too, with Sir Humphrey that he has, a, when, uh, when Treherne busts in on him, uh, he's entertaining, Humphrey's entertaining some other guests. Turns out it's a ship captain. And so you get an idea of where uh, Humphrey is getting the information about when these ships are going to be coming by to to pass on to the gang, to when to cover the uh, the beacons, the, the beacons, to cover the beacons uh, <laughs> so they can... Uh, they can cause these shipwrecks, so we get a lot. We get a, a lot actually when the, within these uh, few minutes. That is one thing I think that can you can say for this movie is it does not slow down. I don't think there's really any point where you're going, man. When is this movie going to pick up again? Right. It just keeps going and going. Well, that's actually something too, because I mean we're actually coming up on the one hour mark already. We've kind of mm-hmm. blown through this. I don't have that many notes left. I do what I did mention, or I did have in my notes here that Treherne discusses this theory that Joss is getting his orders from someone outside the gang. He's talking to Sir mm-hmm. Humphrey now. That's right, uh, Sir Humphrey. Well, he jumps at the chance to help Treherne, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Treherne uh, figures that since a good wind is stirring tonight, there could well be another shipwreck. Josh should be meeting with his contact, so Treherne wants to lay a trap at the inn. And yeah, that's kind of where my notes stop. Like I said, this is a movie that I don't think it's a terribly long movie. Isn't it only like maybe 80-some minutes long? I think it's like an hour and 20, 25 minutes. I could find out. No, that's okay. <laughs> that's that's about what I said. It's like 80 long. minutes. It's a real short mm-hmm. film. And yeah, with with just a quick, everything that goes through, it just kind of snaps, snaps, snaps. And suddenly we're at the hour mark. And mm-hmm. of course, obviously, this is kind of the point where really the, 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 the finale kind of starts picking up. And like, there's really no spoiling everything, be, spoiling anything because we kind of get, spoiled almost immediately <laughs> with right, finding out like that Sir Humphrey's told. the villain. Exactly. Well, and it is interesting. I think, you know, up for the first half of the movie, you think that it, 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 I was impressed because the first half of the movie here, you're thinking that Treherne is this bad guy. And it seems like Mary is in this really dark story. And then as soon as they say, surprise, he's a police officer. You're like, Oh, okay. So yeah, no, she's fine. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, and I think it's that was kind of the thing I wanted to mention too. I think Demoria's story was much darker. In her story, he wasn't a police officer. He was the brother of this criminal, mm. this wrecker that kills men and steals for a living. Right. You know, and uh, and so it's interesting because you really, with changing 
with creating this character of Sir Humphrey that you see in this movie, you take away a lot of the real menace, I think, that the book probably has. Mm. Oh, I'm, I would imagine so. And, you know, I'm thinking back, you know, having read that the, the idea that they had to reveal uh, Humphrey to be the villain earlier, I don't think I agree with that. I, I think you could have easily have hidden that and kept him in the film just as much mm-hmm. uh, with only a few minor changes. Obviously, you wouldn't be able to have uh, the meeting with him and Joss. You could have had Joss going to the room and meeting someone. You just see him close the door and maybe see him speaking or have the person with a their back turned. Yes. Kind of. yes. And then you just, oh, the only thing you'd have to do is you'd have to leave out uh, Joss showing up at Humphrey's house to tell him about Traherne and Mary uh, escaping them. You, you, mm-hmm. You'd cut that out. And then you could still have Sir Humphrey as being this apparently a good guy. And they have this moment in it. Um, that would have been perfect, you know, because it's I, there, I think it's Patience and Sir Humphrey, yes, uh, Mary and Traherne alone in a room, and you know what I'm talking about. I wouldn't give too much away, and it would have just been the perfect moment for a reveal, and they just lost the impact of that mm-hmm. entirely. <laughs> but but I wanted it to be a surprise right then, and it is for you know, it w- it is for a couple of the characters, but it's it's definitely a lost opportunity. I'll, I'll tell you this is a funny story just based on just on that. The first time <laughs> I started watching this, it, it was fairly late at night. And uh, me, old movies and black and white late at night are a bad combination. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've had that conversation. <laughs> so I started watching it and literally within like 15 minutes or so, I fell asleep. And I, and I happened to wake up about the time that uh, – uh, Sir Humphrey reveals him, yeah, reveals himself yeah. to the other characters, <laughs> and I remember thinking, "Oh, that's a nice twist! I can't wait to see how this plays out." And so when I sat down and watched the film again to actually watch all the way through, I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah." <laughs> well, and, and that said, it is interesting because you're exactly right. They, I think, they reveal that big plot point far, far too early, and if it really is a point of vanity, then. Vanity is the only thing that drove it, you know. But um, it, but it is worth mentioning that as much as that's kind of a point of annoyance, the last fifteen minutes of this movie, I could not take my eyes away from the screen. Yeah, the whole. I mean, pretty much from that scene, which the scene itself is not so shocking, but pretty much from that point on the entire movie, it just goes so fast and there's so much that happens. And I really actually was extremely impressed by it. And it was kind of there. There are parts in it that are really, especially for the era, very horrifying and almost graphic. Mm-hmm. I, and I know those are kind of extreme words to use, but there's a part where Mary is getting tied up and it's kind of, it's a little 50 shades of gray. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's, there's nothing sexual that happens in it, but just like kind of the way that it's happening, it's just so disturbing that it's, it seems like really horrible. So, and and now you're going to have to go watch it. If you're listening to this and you haven't seen it yet, now you have to go. (laughs) But it, it focuses so much on her expressions during that. And, you know, in her experience while it's going on, that it really is horrifying. So, uh, so it's worth, you know, it's worth mentioning that even though they give away a couple of their best plot twists, twists early on, um, they, the end of this movie is worth staying in for. 
I think that the quick pace towards the end, I think it actually is to the detriment a little bit to the story, too, because in the end, Mary is saved by a character that has a sort of turnaround, I guess, and you don't really know where that turnaround comes from. Mm. Uh, without giving it, I, I, I guess there's no point in not giving it away. But I mean, she she looks like she's 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 pretty much done for. But in the end, it's it's Joss that ends up uh, saving her from the gang, and you don't really get an impression, or you don't get any real explanation or true feeling as to why he would decide to do that. So that's interesting. I I out of curiosity, I, I picked up the 19 or the 19 the 2014 BBC that came out just a couple of years ago. Um there was also one with Jane Seymour in 1983, which I'm probably going to end up having to watch that one too. I love I've watched I watch every version. If I if I'm interested in a story, I'll watch every version of it that I can find. I also listen to the same song on repeat. Yes, I'm that person. So, <laughs> um, but I'm curious, you know, to see the differences and all. And in the nineteen, in the I keep calling it 1914, in the 2014 <laughs> version of it, um, it, it I think it explores that character well. Mm-hmm. Probably very thoroughly, and he very obviously is in, extremely infatuated with her. Um, Beyond creepy you know, uncle, they, <laughs> creepy uncle, and they they hint at it in the very beginning when you know he's just creepy, but they don't they don't do it as him actually really kind of feeling an emotional pull toward her. Right where where in the in the book, and I don't know how the book compares with the newer version, which compares you know with the 1939 version, but he actually in the in the miniseries early on he actually saves her from another guy that's trying to mess with her hmm. so it so there's a very real possibility that there are loads of depth to his character in the book that we just don't see because this movie was you know according to all the pieces we're putting together it was crafted to to really just feature charles lofton <laughs> you know it it cut out a lot, I think, of the personalities of other characters in favor of doing that that probably exist in, in the original story. I think in this film, you, there's a couple moments with this character and with other characters that are kind of related to Joss Merlin that you can infer some stuff. There's a, mm-hmm. there's some talk about when he and Patience got married, that Patience, and she says it and he says it, that she was once you know this this beautiful woman and mm-hmm. uh, so you get the impression that their their lives were not always running a uh, uh, an inn and a uh, right. shipwreck <laughs> gang, and they might have started out with a, a happier life. And she was a real you know a, a looker, and it was a real it, it was a real catch for him. And mm-hmm. you know he, he he really loved her, and and maybe you can infer that you know young Mary reminds him of Patience when they first met. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And maybe where that—that's where some of the the affection and where uh, him you know, saving her in the end would come from. But that—that's mm-hmm. a lot of inferring. <laughs> yeah, it, it is in the, it, based on this movie. It is yes. Um, you know, ba- based on what I've seen so far in the other, it's not. It's much more obvious. Uh, he very clearly, you know, has that. But I think when you're looking at it. Especially from this era of film, there's not as much focus on the character. There's more focus on the emotion. Uh, so, you know, which there's not so much about the character's motivations as much as it is about reaction. 
But that's going to do it, I think. What kind of uh, rating do you think you would give this one? Hmm, I think I want you to go first. Okay. <laughs> um, it's not one that I'm going to say that you need to run out and see. I, I, there's definitely films that I've enjoyed a lot more than than this one. I'm only going to come in at a. I'm going to come in at a two, honestly. I just, it, it, it just doesn't. It's not a film I'm going to watch again. It's a film that. It obviously it didn't keep me awake in the first place. <laughs> I had to wait till I I was able to like sit down on like a Saturday afternoon when the when it's daylight in order to watch it. And I just think because of the uh, the production issues and obviously regardless of whether it was just Hitchcock phoning it in or issues with Charles Lawton, I don't know. But there's just problems with the story and the way it's told in this film that it's I won't. Give it like nothing or a one. I, 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 it's, <laughs> it's it's not, not bad. Badly it, done, exactly. It, but the only thing I can say, it's worth it just to see the set pieces because the set pieces all around are incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like some of the acting. Uh, Charles Lawton, even though he may have been part of the problem, I I, I liked watching him as Sir Humphrey. Yeah, as this character, I think he does a very good job. Absolutely, he kind of sets himself up to really succeed in it. And and I like uh, I like Joss Merlin. I think that was a neat character too. Uh, <laughs> even though you don't really get an explanation as to why he does some of the things he does, I, I still I still kind of like him. And I, there's mm-hmm. certain scenes that are that are great. You know, when he's trying to like sort of do the bravado, be the the man, man. Oh, you think I'm weak? Well, I'll just take this big case and throw it up the stairs and yeah <laughs> by the way i want to know who makes her luggage <laughs> <laughs> i know right i kept expecting it to break and it never did <laughs> drops from a carriage gets thrown up the stairs gets thrown from the stairs to the landing i right, oh my cow well it is an old-fashioned trunk that's so. true <laughs> but anyway uh sorry rabbit hole there yeah i'm only gonna yeah. give i'm only gonna come in at a two though you know, I am actually going to agree with you on that. I, I want to give it a three, a three but I can't yeah. because ultimately what it comes down to is it has sparked an interest in the original story. And I think that's why I like it as much as I do. Yeah, sure. Um, having just seen the very, like half of the first episode of the miniseries, I really want to see more of it. But I think that is this movie itself is concerned. Honestly, it's such a different story. It could have been called something completely different by the title. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it almost isn't the same story at all. And, um, you know, from that perspective, if I'm just looking at it purely as a movie that they made, like first night is supposedly about King Arthur, but has nothing to do with King Arthur. <laughs> this is kind of like the first night of Jamaica Inn. So, <laughs> so I'm going to say, you know, it's a two, there are parts in it that I really like there, you know, it's interesting for the era that it's in, there's nothing hugely wrong with it. Um, it reminds me a lot of a movie that John Wayne did with Paulette Goddard uh, and um, Ray Milland called Reap the Wild Wind, mm. which is based – it's off of the coast of Florida, but very similar. Um, it, it, But better. In my opinion, Reap the Wild Wind was just so much better, even though it was a very similar storyline. Gotcha. So um, – you know, so I agree with you. I think a two is a fair rating for this one, and that is where I'm going to go with it. Okay, excellent. 
Well, geez, I mean, I think we really blew through this one. I almost feel <laughs> guilty. But... I looked it up. Well, it's only an hour and eight minutes. Oh, it okay. So it's a lot shorter than I was expecting. So that does explain why we kind of get through it really quick. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I feel like that was like the worst joke and like <laughs> it wasn't a joke though. It's true. It we literally literally it's an hour and 8 minutes. Hmm. See, I'm actually surprised that that um that that it's that short and I took us all the way up to the hour mark. <laughs> well, it, it, they fit so it I think you're a little bit shy of the hour mark. Okay. I think that's probably about 45 minutes. Oh, okay. That that's probably um, would fit had, better. I, well, I had to back it up to see because I knew that from one point I just was absorbed by it. Up until then, I was kind of coasting through it, um, maybe multitasking a little even. But, it, you know, it, at one point it really grabbed my attention and I had to back up to see at one point that was. And that was about the 15-minute mark. Okay. Uh, and that was a little bit after where we stopped tonight. Excellent. But anyway, moot. My point. <laughs> Two stars for Jamaica Inn, and uh, and I guess that's where we are. That's exactly where we are, and that's, I guess, where we're going to leave it. As always, thanks, everybody, for downloading. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Sorry it took so long for us to get another episode out. Uh, I think you. I hope everyone enjoyed the uh, Thanksgiving uh, George Burns and Gracie Allen shows that I posted last month. They were so much fun. Uh, Lydia, if you get a chance to go back and listen to those, if you haven't already. I mean, if you like radio shows, if you like uh, uh, George Burns, Gracie Allen. I've got them on my Podbean. Uh, yeah, Podbean. I've got them downloaded. I just haven't listened yet. All right, yeah. I've been on Dave Ramsey kick. Sorry. There is, <laughs> they, they, are, they are funny. There's a couple of really great puns that literally made me laugh out loud, which made my coworkers <laughs> wonder what the hell was going on I over in my corner. But You and me both. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, anyway, thanks, everyone, for downloading. Uh, this is going to, if I can jump on it this is going to come out right before the christmas holiday so i want to wish everyone a merry christmas and then i think uh, hanukkah starts up right after that happy hanukkah. um happy kwanzaa yeah <laughs> a joyous kwanzaa merry christmas happy hanukkah joyous kwanzaa is ramadan or something somewhere nearby i mean i don't know oh whatever holiday i don't know Whatever holiday that you celebrate, have a fantastic one and a safe one. Happy New Year to everyone, of course. Yes. That That's universal. Gosh, I can't believe we're almost there. I know. My gosh, 2017 right around the corner. We will be back in 2017 with some more Yay. orphaned films and radio, and we hope you'll be there listening uh, once again, feedback, comments, send it to the email, or from entertainment at gmail.com, or join the Facebook group. We thank you very much for everything. Uh, this year has you know, been fantastic for the podcast, and you know I, I really couldn't ask for much more other than maybe more emails and feedback. <laughs> <laughs> Lydia, thank you very much for another fun year of uh, podcasting. Thank you. I honestly, this is one of my favorite things to do. So, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it's believe me, it's 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 my pleasure. <laughs> That's going to do it. Thanks again, everyone. Have a fantastic time, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.